morning, everyone. For those of you that haven't met me, my name is Nick, and together with Chris, we are the senior pastors here at Asher Vineyard. Um, you are catching us in the middle of a series at the moment where we are talking about our aims as Ashford Vineyard. Like, what are we going after? What are we here for? Chris and I um, went to the National Leaders Conference a couple of weeks ago, and we did a seminar. And the whole purpose of the seminar was, if you have got a church in a town or city and that town or city doesn't look different because you're there, why are you there? And that really is at the heartbeat of what we do here, is that we are not here as a uh, Christian social club for people who love Jesus to get together and feel good about themselves. We love him, and in return, we go out into Ashford and seek to bring life. Now, when we first came nine and a half years ago, um, we had a vision statement that we had written where we dreamt about what it might look like um, to bring life to Ashford. And what we've done in this last year is reimagine how we express that. So actually, it's not that the heart of what we're going after has changed. It's just that um, the way Chris has described it is if you ask a five-year-old what they want to do when they grow up, they will express that differently from if you ask a 20-year-old what they want to do when they grow up. And so for us, it's about re-expressing our aims and what we are here for. And so we have managed to condense all of that down into six aims which under come under the umbrella of bringing life to Ashford and these are those six so so far a few weeks ago I spoke about increasing people's connection to God as father and that one sits above everything else and then the other thing so reducing the impact of poverty Chris Tatton did a brilliant job at talking to us about that a few weeks ago and then Chris and I actually switched so last week he did number four improving health and well-being and today I am talking about improving aspirations and opportunities for children and young people now, something I have learned about myself as I've done the research for this talk is that I'm older than I think. So as I've looked at all the research and I've kept like gathering this information, I'd always consider myself to still be in the, like, the student generation. I'm so not in the student generation anymore. In fact, last year I met up with a friend and we had the horrible realisation that we'd met at uni 20 years ago. And then it's like, oh. So as I have done the research for this, I have had my eyes opened to a different generation of which I'm no longer in. And my focus today is going to be on what is known as Gen Z or Generation Z. And that is the children, young people born between 95 and 2013, which makes them aged between 7 and 25. Now, first thing to say is if you are here, you are relieved. I've got some relieved people like I'm still in. I'm still in. <laughs> Notice how they've all congregated together at one side. Um, so I've lost my train. Where am I? So Gen Z, yes, they are 7 to 25. A quick reassurance for you. If you are a parent here and have children or your grandparent have grandchildren here who are under seven, we are not writing your children off. We love them. We are for them. And we believe amazing things for them. And for today, I'm focusing on 7 to 25-year-olds. But please know that when we talk about children, we talk about children of all ages. So this is the question. This is the aim that we are looking at. I'm going to go into that in a bit more detail later. This is the question that I asked myself as I started to prepare for this, which is where and how are Gen Z being influenced? And the data that I'm about to tell you is UK data. So this is from a huge study across the UK about this generation. And it tells us this. You may find some of this encouraging or alarming. 
The average time someone in Gen Z spends online in a day is 10.6 hours. 10.6 hours per day online. And over half of those polled, 54%, said that they used multiple devices at any one time. This is the ability to switch between watching something whilst being on your phone or scrolling through checking notifications on a watch whilst doing something else. Teens in the UK said the top three things that make them feel good about themselves are their friends, 93%, family, 92%, and music at 26%. They report that in their spare time, they most enjoy in descending order, so this is in order, they most enjoy in their spare time, number one, watching YouTube videos. That is the thing they most enjoy, followed by TV and movies, followed by using social media, followed by hanging out with their friends. <laughs> so actually, face-to-face -face interaction is down the list. Now, if you're here in Gen Z, and you, this is like, so isn't you, obviously. So like, you may not spend your time this way, but this is a big study polled in the UK. This is really interesting. Teens in the UK rank social media as the top negative influence in their life. So we've just heard how long this generation is spending online and using social media, but they also identify that social media is the thing which makes them feel worse about themselves. Followed by friends, making them feel bad about themselves. And four in 10 of this generation said YouTubers specifically made them feel bad about themselves. So we have the top thing that this generation like to do is watch YouTube videos, and four in 10 of them say specifically that YouTubers make them feel bad about themselves. The image I had was like this group of people on this piece of elastic that are just getting pulled between the two, their desire to get content and more content and more content and watch more stuff, and at the same time, it's making them feel bad about themselves, but they can't stop it because they just want to get more content. And what about God? What is God's influence in this generation? Well, only about one third of, of this generation in the UK say they even believe in God. But perhaps sadder for me is even within this one third, so this is the third that do believe in God, when asked the question, would you be interested to know more about God if you were invited? 56% of them said no. So they believe in God, but they are not interested in knowing more about him. Now, when I sat preparing this out loud, I ended up saying, which God are they believing in? It's like, if you really know God, then it, it, he's fascinating. He is incredible. He is infinitely beyond anything that I can imagine. The concept of knowing about him or believing in him, but not wanting to know more about him and be interested to find out more about him is a really sad statistic for me because he is so much better than that. One report writes about Gen Z. They are not an embittered, angry generation shaking their fists at the heavens. They just don't think looking up is all that important. Uh, there was an art exhibition that went on fairly recently where um, some this artist took photos of everyday social situations and then airbrushed the phones 
out of the photos. And what you ended up with was very bizarre photos. You had a couple lying in bed next to each other, both looking at their hand because the photo had been airbrushed out. And when you see it that way, it suddenly is a bit weird. And then he had a photo at a bus stop where all the people sat in the bus stop or in the bus queue were basically no one was looking at each other or interacting. Everybody was looking at their hand. Looking up is something which is countercultural for this generation. But as the optimist, ever the optimist, there's some really, really good news. So hold on, this is not all bad news. The good news is the research has shown undeniably that this generation are entrepreneurs and innovators. This is their sweet spot. This is what they're brilliant at. And I think if we can harness the innovation skills, the pioneering skills of this generation, and then add that into kingdom, like what a gift this generation are to all our towns and cities. And in fact, a market research firm over in America this time researched a whole load of 12 to 24 year olds and said this that I find very exciting. What we've uncovered in our research is that this is a generation of CCs, culture creators that are redefining entertainment, consumption, the workplace and marketing. The CCs are empowered, connected, empathetic self-starters that want to stand out and make a difference in the world. They have created a new cultural currency that values uniqueness, authenticity, creativity, shareability and recognition. What's different for this generation is not as simple as the internet or technology. Technology is an important component, but what's changed is this generation's relationship with culture. I find that so exciting because when you look at what's been identified, this is what God's all about. God is all about authenticity. You only have to look at the human body to see how into uniqueness God is that he would go to the trouble of making everyone's fingerprints different. He could have just created humankind to all be the same, but he values uniqueness just as this generation does. Creativity. You only need to look in nature to see what God thinks about creativity. So I think what we need to be looking at is this culture creators. How can we add a word to the beginning and how can we lean into kingdom culture creators, young people who are shaping and molding and driving the culture that points towards a God who loves them, is for them and has incredible dreams for their future. So this is what we are going after as Asher Vineyard. The first one is building confidence and self-esteem in young people. How are we going to do that? We want to keep providing spaces and places where children and young people can come and know who they are and whose they are. That they can have an identity rooted in being sons and daughters of the king of the universe. That is a reason to be confident says in Hebrews, one of the books in the New Testament, it says this, let us approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We were never designed to approach God apologetically. Never. We were never designed to have to creep into his presence with our shoulders down and our heads down as if to apologize for our very presence. We were designed to run into his presence confidently, boldly, unapologetically. 
And when we first, very early on in Ashford Vineyard, we were in um, Kings North Recreation Centre when we first started doing Sundays. And it was very small. There were just a few of us there and we didn't have official kids' stuff. So the kids would be at the back with some toys. And quite often, I would be stood with a microphone doing the talk and one of our children, one of our girls, would just run down the central aisle and say, Mum, Mum, I need a drink! Like, in the middle of the service. Because they would have no concept of waiting because they were boldly approaching. They knew that they could come boldly and ask me for something. And whilst I may do like a slight gritted, not right now moment, they could boldly approach. Why? Because they knew they were accepted and loved and championed. They didn't have to kind of sneak into my presence. They could run towards me. That is how we are all invited to approach God. So this next bit, you might need a a phone or a notepad, it's old school, uh, because I'm not going to be able to go through all of these Bible references, but I would really encourage you as a piece of homework to read all of these at some point this week. Because if you want to see what God thinks about children and young people, you just read some of these and it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind as to what God thinks about releasing authority to children and young people. First of all, the Joshua generation. This is the generation of young people under the age of 20 that God allowed into the promised land after 40 years of wandering. He entrusted it to them. Or David, the young hero at 16 years old when nobody believed in him. Everyone thought that he just wasn't grown up enough or mature enough. He ultimately became king and reminded generations of God's favour and power and goodness. This is the one that has blown my mind. The eight-year-old King Josiah. If ever there were proof that age is not a barrier to leadership, picture the scene. This is what it says in 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or the left. The concept of an eight-year-old running the country is a little bit terrifying. But do you know what? What does God see in children? He doesn't see all the, what they can't do. He sees the potential of everything they can do. And he wants to see kids released into authority. And then what about in the New Testament? Well, we've got Mary who gave birth to Jesus. There's some debate over how old she was, but many scholars think she was about 12 to 14 years old. What a responsibility. She's just a girl. She's just a teenager. And yet God chose her to carry the saviour of the entire world. He is all about young people. Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30, but actually his disciples most likely would have been aged between 15 and 25. And I heard someone describe it this week as it was like Jesus had his own youth small group. And basically, he just took his small group and then just blew up the world forever. You know, he changed the world with that group of young people. And then these other verses thereafter that I won't go through just talk about the fact that there is gold held within young people and we must look for it. And really for us, why are we going after confidence and self-esteem? Well, if all of this is true, if all of what the Bible says is true, Our young people and children in Ashford have every reason to be the most self-assured, confident, wonderfully full of self-esteem young people. But that's not the story that we get told when we hang out with young people. 
But if this is true, which we believe it is, they have every reason to be confident. Just a quick story from, for you from Excel Mentoring, which is one of the programs that Dave and MJ run. They would love to talk to you about how you can get involved in that. I asked them for some stories about self-esteem, and this is one of the stories that came back. This is a young person writing. I learned to talk to my mentor. Now, for the first time, I can have conversations with my dad. Dad isn't somebody who talks usually, but now I know how to talk to people. I can talk to him and get to know what he's thinking. By talking with my mentor and discussing problems, I now have the confidence to ask for help when I need it. I can discuss problems with my parents and can go to teachers and identify people who can help me. I've grown in confidence by ordering food when we go out to eat. Just the smallest thing. But when we invest and pour ourselves into young people, it is transformational. And for that young person, they have been transformed by someone giving them two hours a week. So what about the next thing? The, the second sub-aim, equipping young people with life skills. Well, what does the Bible say about this? A lot, but here's just two things. Proverbs 22, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Or my favorite, Proverbs 22:29. If you are uniquely gifted in your work, you will rise and be promoted. You won't be held back. You will stand before kings. We need to equip and empower children and young people and give them life skills so that they can get into rooms of great influence. And actually, those rooms right now in their society may be cyber rooms. But there are YouTubers with millions of people listening and watching to what they're going to say next. Where are the kingdom-bringing, Holy Spirit-filled children and young people who have got millions of followers waiting to hear their voice and what they've got to say? If we equip them, God says he will anoint them and appoint them with favor to go into places of influence. So I'm going to invite the amazing James Whiteley to come and join me now. Give him a very warm welcome. James loved this part in the first service, so I'm going to do it again. Yay. And before James speaks, I'd like to tell you something oh, off no. the man of James. And he didn't find this at all uncomfortable in the first service. This man carries the light of Jesus unlike hardly anyone I have ever met before. His servant-heartedness to go into the most broken places and bring light is beautiful. His passion for young people is incredible and contagious. And so if you want to learn a bit more about that and how to become like that, come and just spend five minutes with James because you will just, it rubs off on you. You can't help yourself, but have more passion for this younger generation after spending time with him. Please, thank that's you. over. Yes, thank you. Okay, good. So, <laughs> more. I, in that case, no, not really. I won't no, do no, it no, to no. you. So, James, I've asked you up here to talk about your day job rather than the Asher Vineyard Youth stuff mm. that you do. So tell us a little bit about what you do for your job and what that actually means on a day-to-day. -day. Uh, so yeah, I work for the prison service. Uh, I currently work at Medway Secure Training Centre and I'm about to move back to Cook and Wood Young Offenders. Uh, Medway STC is a place for what's considered slightly more vulnerable, younger children, so age 12 
to 18. Um, and as I said in the first service, I don't know what's more shock shocking about that, whether there's 12-year-olds that are in custody or that they've committed an offence serious enough for them to need to be in custody. Uh, and then, yeah, Cook and Wood, I worked at Cook and Wood for about eight, nine years um, as a caseworker. And so now I'm going back to sort of head up the casework team. Um, Cook and Wood is for young men aged 15 to 18. Uh, and so I head up a team of case workers who get an allocation of young people to work with and try and help them and whatever's brought them into custody uh, and work with them on finding some sort of plan or something we can, they can do with them to get them some education, get them some offending behaviour work and just some stuff so that when they come out um, they have somewhere to live and they have um, maybe something to go into in terms of employment or education, those sorts of things. Great. And in terms of like we're talking about opportunities and aspirations in young people, how are the presence or absence of those reflected in the young people that you see on a day-to-day? -day? Yeah, it's a strange place having kids in custody. Um, and unfortunately, not a lot of them have a lot of aspirations, which is kind of how they've ended up being there. And the trouble is that when you don't have aspirations, you don't have hope, and then you become, by definition, hopeless. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's difficult to work with that because not many young people choose, they didn't wake up one day and decide, you know what, I need a bit of jail in my life. Um, Sadly, there is a small group that do, um, particularly if they're involved in gangs and those sorts of things, um, that becomes a bit of a rite of passage. Um, but yeah, most of them um, have come from uh, horrendous backgrounds. There's always a sort of a theme that you kind of see through it when you look back through their, their backstories and stuff, and there's always a theme that runs through it. Um, and sometimes it's generational as well, um, where they're kind of growing up. Uh, and if you know your mum and dad, you're in home, mum and dad were dealing drugs, and that's all quite normal for you. Yeah. Um, you know, why wouldn't you aspire to go out and do that? So sometimes it's, it's kind of, you're going against the culture, really. And I'm guessing that the very nature of being in prison limits the opportunity to have aspirations about the future. What does that look like for those young people who are now going to be in one place for a long time? How is your role or the role of the prison service able to help them find a bit of aspiration in that context? Yeah, some of it is just trying to sort of drill down into, you know, everybody has something they're good at and it's just sometimes finding how, what that is and how you can bring that out of young people. Some of the problem is, as you were talking about culture, some of the problems with, with Generation Z um, is that there's a theme that runs through culture at the moment that says that you can be anybody you want to be, mm -hmm. um, but there's no guidance really on how you do that. It just seems to be that, you know, you can just get on stage with a microphone, you can win X Factor, or you can get on YouTube and you can, you know, you get loads of money from YouTube if you do it well, yeah. but then young people look around and they go, well, I look at my life and I, I don't have something that I want to put up on TV. So it is trying to find and help young people to have aspirations in something that they, they're good at. And, and sometimes that can be really hard work to draw that out. Yeah. And for us sat here, like you're in a, a very unique context. Like even if we wanted to, we can't all rock up now at the young offenders and start bringing the light and giving them life skills. Yeah. You can do that. But for us here, what would you say to us about why should we take some responsibility for this generation, either as individuals or the church? in the context that we are in here? Yeah, I mean, I had lots of people come up to me at the first service, oh, I couldn't do your job. And that's, that's probably true, but I probably couldn't do most of your jobs. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think it's about all of you have contact with young people in some way, whether it's young people you have contact through as they're in your family, so you're an aunt, an uncle, a mum, a dad, a brother, a sister, um, a carer, or you have contact with young people in some way. And it, some of it is just loving them. Mm -hmm. Some of it is just providing some consistency and stability. Um, somebody, some of it is just showing that you have something different. And that's the key thing that when I'm working with young people who are hopeless, is that we do carry hope. 
yeah. we carry a message that um, you know Jesus's message was countercultural at the time, and it still is countercultural because young yeah. people believe that they can't be something because of who they are and what they are. And Jesus actually specialises in taking broken people. He doesn't even specialise it. He, he that's his followers yeah. are broken people, and that's who he chooses. Um, and so it's it's bringing that message in a very difficult world where we're surrounded by fake news and you know dramas every day on the on the news and everything else. It's around how you how you love young people and opportunities you can take, whether that's just on the school run, whether that's people in your family, whether that's XLM mentoring, whether it's all the different things that we offer. Um, it's, it's being available for young people because they are the next generation uh, and it is how we, how we support and equip them and we kind of pass those skills on, really. Amazing. Huge thank you to James. <laughs> So as we just discussed, like James is talking about that in a very specific context, but um, when asking Excel mentors for stories, this theme of equipping young people with life skills came out so strongly as well. This is a quick story from uh, Alan, who is one of our outstanding mentors, um, and he wrote this of a young boy that he'd been working with. He said, he went from the boy who was so quiet when we met and in trouble every day at school and out of school to wanting to work at every opportunity and to wanting to learn life skills. I remember we were cutting the grass in the summer and he saw a slow worm for the first time. He ran to the other side of the garden. He thought it was an adder. He did the same when he saw a spider in a pack of bricks that we were delivering for someone. Also, I have never been so wet as the day I decided to clean the van at the jet wash. I'm sure he thought he was something out of Star Wars. <laughs> I can just imagine the scene. He's got the hang of it now, thankfully. We met on Wednesday as normal. He's asked if we can work at the weekend. It's Valentine's Day and he wants to buy something for his girlfriend. That is two hours a week. Two hours a week. And that young person's life is being transformed by Alan showing up for two hours a week. And it's about life skills. It's about mothering and fathering. How do we equip young people with life skills? Well, for me, it's quite straightforward in some ways. We say, you're not in it alone. Watch me do it. We'll do it together. And then I'll release you to do it by yourself. Because at that point, you release young people with all the confidence of having champions behind them. So just to kind of come into land, what is our mandate as the church and as Ashford Vineyard? Well, I would sum it up as this. We have got to take responsibility. This is not somebody else's job. We have to take responsibility. Well, when Chris and I went to church planting school, um, we cast our vision very long story. We didn't want to plant a church and didn't want to be at church planting school. We ended up there. God had other ideas. We cast a vision for that church and the guy leading the school stood at the back of the room and when we finished, he was so annoying. He looked at the front and he said, I have one question. If you don't plant that church, who is? Who's going to plant it? And it was like a brokenness moment of, oh no. And I would ask the question today of us, as Asher Vineyard, if we don't go out with that message of hope that James talked about and meet a generation who are being made to feel bad about themselves by people with millions of followers on YouTube, if we don't do that, who's going to do that? I think we have to take responsibility. And this is how I think it looks. 
We have a responsibility to cover young people. That is sending a message of you are not alone. You are not in this on your own. Then we have a responsibility to lead them. That's a watch and learn thing. That's a, this is how you clean a van with a jet wash moment. That's a, I'm going to do it, you watch, you learn. And you know what? It might be a jet wash, but maybe it's the prophetic like Chris spoke about earlier. Maybe leading a young person is, I'm going to explain to you how I hear from God and I'm going to put words on it for you and I'm going to explain it and then we're going to do it together. Watch and learn. Learn from me how to do this stuff. And then finally, we have a responsibility to release children and young people into the greatness that they are designed for. We have to be open-handed and it's really hard. And the reason it's hard is because it's really risky. Because when we start releasing responsibility to children and young peoples, they're probably people, people's people, they're probably going to do it differently from us. They won't do it the way that I would do it. So it's a bit easier if I just keep control and I'll hang on to the responsibility. But maybe, just maybe, we need to take more risks on children and young people. Part of our kids' takeover that we do here a few times a year where the kids lead the service, one of the things I find sad about it is that it is one of our most poorly attended services in the year. And I find it really sad because actually we have now got kids and young people who are leading worship, they're doing the talk, they're hosting. And when people don't come, it sends a message that says, I don't have anything to learn from you. I'll wait until the grown-ups get up and then I'll turn up and learn from them. I would encourage you to get the date in your diary for the next kids takeover because our kids and young people have so much to teach us. We have to release them, but we actually we have to be willing to then listen and learn at the same time. We are in the business of raising revival bringers. That's what we want to see happen. We want our kids and young people to fall in love with Jesus, to hunger become, to become more like him, and then to take an army of people out with them and bring the kingdom. So practically, to finish, what can you or I do? I would say to you, if you are a parent of a child or someone in that generation Z. Do whatever you can to get your kids and young people to things like wildfires and DTI. I suggested in the first service that you pay your young people to go if that's what it takes. And the reason I say this is because there is something powerful about creating tribe with young people. You put them in a room or a cow shed, as DTI, 5,000 young people they're expecting. And then you show that worshipping is freedom, that hearing from God is normal, that taking risks in the supernatural is normal. Now, can we do that in AV Kids and AV Youth? Absolutely. I'm not undervaluing in any way what we do here. But there is something that happens when we put our kids and our young people in a room with kids like them and we open their eyes up to possibility. So get them to wildfires, get them to DTI, get them here, here, over there and up there at every opportunity. Home for Good. We are a Home for Good church. That means we partner with an organisation who has a mission to find a home for every child that needs one in the UK. That is through fostering and adoption. Maybe God is nudging you. Maybe God is inviting you into providing a safe place and a safe home for the most vulnerable children and young people. The statistics tell us that one third of care leavers become homeless within the first two years of leaving care. And 39% of care leavers aged 19 to 21 
are not in employment, education or training compared with 12% of the rest of the population. That's not okay. It's just not okay. Maybe you could be someone who gets to play a part in that. And finally, Excel mentoring. The training is just started, so you've caught this talk at the right time because you can show up on Wednesday and get training. Why not give two hours a week to a young person and transform their life? Let's stand and we are going to um, close. What I want to do is invite you into a moment of pressing pause and just listening to what God might want to say. And the question I would love you to ask is, God, how are you inviting me to play? You might be sat here today thinking, I have nothing to offer to young people. It's a lie. Do you know what? Maybe what you can offer is your prayers. Maybe you can make a time to pray every day. Maybe what you can offer is your finances to invest in programs and projects that bring a message of hope to young people. But I'd invite you just to close your eyes where you're stood and I'm gonna effectively put a call out to you. And if you feel like you could be one of these people, then I have a clipboard at the front here with a blank piece of paper. And I would love for you to come and put your details on because I want to invite you into a room where we can dream about what happens for young people in Ashford Vineyard and in Ashford and beyond. So this is what we are looking for to be in that room. Have you got skills or experience with young people? Are you a dreamer? Are you an intercessor? Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Are you someone who can give? Are you someone who could mentor? Are you someone who could foster or adopt? Are you someone who could host youth circles or groups of young people? Are you someone who can volunteer in AV Kids or in AV Youth on a Sunday morning? Father, we invite you right now to show us, to open our eyes up to the opportunities that you may be giving to us. We say, have your way. And we thank you that we get to have a church community which contains children and young people. Where there are many churches across the land who don't have access to this generation, I thank you that you have positioned us where we get to have the privilege of having children and young people be a valuable part of this family. Help us to nurture them. Help us to champion them. Help us to release them to invest in them, to pour into them, that they might run with confidence into everything that you have planned for them. Thank you, Father. And just as we stand with eyes closed, we always like to offer an opportunity here. If you are here this morning and you are not in a relationship with God and you've heard about the kind of God he is and what he says about family, and you think, do you know what? I want to follow him. I want a relationship with him. I want to get to know him. If that's you, just while people have their eyes closed, just put your hand up and just wave at me. And I would love to come and speak to you afterwards. We'd love to pray for you. We have a gift for you. But we always just like to take just a moment to do that. If that's you, just give me a wave. Thank you, Father. I thank you that we get to play the part in writing the stories of the future influencers, politicians, educators, scientists, fashion designers, artists, music producers, 
world shapers, culture changers. Help us to wake up and take responsibility in the places that you are inviting us into. Thank you, God. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.